Birds, Patient and Public Engagement Podcasts. Hello and thank you for joining us for this podcast, which is the second episode in our podcast series about axial spondyloarthritis. I'm Mel Brook, the Patient and Public Engagement Programme Director for BIRD. In this episode, I'm talking to Vicky Baldy, who is a senior physiotherapist with a special interest in AXPA. We're going to be talking about the importance of staying active. So hi, Vicky. Thank you ever so much for coming on to do a podcast with us today. That's okay, no problem. Um, it'd be really nice, actually, if you just give us a little bit of background about your role and what you do. Yeah, cool. So I've been a physio for just over three and a half years. And um, for the last year and a half, kind of specialised in rheumatology as a senior physio here. And so I see a range of patients with inflammatory conditions, but for the majority of it, actually, I've been spending most of my time on the axial spondylitis course, um, which we, we now call, we abbreviate it to AXBAR. So, um, and you recently will be working on the virtual course, which I'm sure we'll catch up later about. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. We'll, we'll uh, have a chat about that later. So we'll start off, I think, with just a, a, a bit of a recap on why exercise is so important for people with AS. Yeah, I mean, it's really key. I mean, this kind of exercise is like considered to be a real main component of management alongside medications with AXPAR. And it's all kind of governed by latest research and guidelines. Um, and they have so many attributes activity can have for you. So I'll just name a few because there's so many. Mm-hmm. So it reduces your disease activity, um, reduces pain and stiffness, helps reducing with the inflammation, um, improves your physical functioning. So, you know, all the day-to-day tasks just seem a lot easier. Mm. Um, posture, chest expansion, so that, you know, it's nice and easier to breathe. You know, the list can go on. <laughs> so, so general kind of all-round helps with your everyday-to-day living just by, by doing the exercise, just by factoring it into your life, just makes everything else so much easier. Yeah, just everything's a lot easier to, you know, you'll have, by exercising more, you're being healthier and fitter and stronger you're basically essentially having more control of your life by doing so. So I think it's, it's really important to do it and, you know, gain that control back of your life. Yeah. I mean, any, anything that you can do to sort of keep you active and able to do the things that you choose to do as a benefit. Yeah, exactly. How do people build exercise into the daily life and what kinds of things hinder in your experience them actually doing this, doing exercise? I think a lot of the time it could be the general kind of lack of knowledge or understanding of what kind of exercise is or what's best for them. You know, many people think, oh gosh, you know, is it going to make things worse? Am I doing the right things? But actually any movement is actually better for you long term than actually staying still and getting more stiff. Mm. I mean, often things I come across, people say, oh, I'm too tired, you know, fatigue, um, pain and stiffness. But actually, once I get them going, they're like, oh, I feel so much better. You get all that rush of endorphins and everything as well. So 
Yeah, it's hard to get motivated, isn't it? When you already feel tired and you've already got pain. I, I totally understand the fear aspect of it as well. It's just like, you know, I ache now. I don't want to ache anymore. It's like you said, once you can kind of bring them on the side and they've had that experience of the benefits, I'm sure it makes motivation much easier. Definitely. It's building into that routine, isn't it? Getting into the habit as well. Yeah. Just a quick question on referrals. How do people get engaged with you initially? They get a referral across from their consultant, do they? So yeah, they're they're keen and have the right kind of uh, there's a bit of a criteria process um, which you'll talk with your consultant with but generally as long as they've got you know a diagnosed condition of um, AXPA and they're motivated and they're keen for a group setting yeah they can get referred onto the course and then go from there and then all yeah. the learning work the with you yeah. yeah so what would you say are the best exercises the, the key things that they should be including in their exercise program or habit um like i spoke about earlier we're really keen on abiding by the kind of latest evidence and uh, research and guidelines mm. just to ensure best practice and um so for example eula which is the european league against rheumatism you've got nice which is the national institute for health and care excellence mm. and then probably most people are more aware of who which is the world health organization yeah they, they all recommend um these certain kinds of categories of exercise to help best manage symptoms of axbar so i can go through them now so you've got strength um so kind of like um involving kind of two large muscle groups um for example like your legs um twice a week um you've got flexibility as well which is quite key so we kind of go on the stretch and hold exercise. You've got a whole regime from head to toe with that one, actually. Mm. Cardiovascular. So that's like your kind of aerobic system. So guidelines recommend um, that we all do, actually, um, 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week. So that's kind of 30 minutes, five times a week. Mm-hmm. Just getting your heart rate going is really important. And balance and coordinations, that's really important as well. Often, sometimes in AXBAR, you can, sometimes our bodies can get a little bit more fused than at times. So sometimes our balance can get a bit off. So we really work on balance exercises just to help keep that in check. Yeah, because um, what you don't want, as well as people being off balance and falling and and then injuring themselves that way. So it's all part of the, the holistic approach, isn't it, to keeping a general fitness level. Up. Definitely, it's really important. And, you know, the most important thing with all of this is doing something that you enjoy. So, you yeah. know, having an activity that you don't, you know, that you wake up, you're like, oh, I can't wait to do this, that and the other, instead of being, oh, no, I've got to do this. So it's really key to have a think of what really means a lot to you. Make it, you know, fun. Yeah. How do people set goals? So yeah, goal setting is really key. And um, we talk about this quite a lot on the course. And it kind of helps you overcome any barriers as well by having, you know, set goals at what you really believe, what you want to achieve, Mm. to fit it into routine. So we go by a thing uh, by calling SMART goals. Um, Don't know if you've heard about this before. But I'll just talk about it a little bit. So yeah. smart 
broken up. Um, it's like an acronym. So you've got SMART, so it's specific. So you have to really think, what would you really like to achieve? Kind of make it simple, sensible, and kind of really significant as well yeah. for you. And then you've got measurable. So how will you know that you've reached it? So really make it meaningful and motivating as well. So kind of put a time on it as well. Um, accessible, so is this goal realistic for me? You need to really make sure you kind of check in with this one and see, is it actually attainable? Can I, can I achieve this? Mm. Um, relevance, so you really want to make it relevant and rewarding. So you, you need to ensure your goal really matters to you. Like I said, make it really enjoyable and worthwhile. And then the last one of the smart one is making it timely. So when do you really want to achieve it? Have you got something in mind that you're aiming up to do? You know, is there a wedding? Is there a work event? You know, what, what really matters to you as to how you're going to really best achieve this? Mm. Um, and we also talk about different kind of levels. So how confident are you of uh, achieving the goal out of 10? You know, 10 being, yes, definitely something I really want to achieve. Zero no it's not actually I'm not that confident I'm going to achieve it um and the other level is importance how important is it to me or to you that you're going to achieve it out of 10 so what we say is if it's anything under seven out of 10 when you're thinking about these goals it's probably rethink worth rethinking the goal because actually anything under seven it's not evidence suggests that you probably won't achieve it as best as you could well that's interesting yeah. so I think that's really important to write those things down to make it realistic really and in, in terms of sort of timing when you're setting your goals and, and trying to build your exercise routine I guess we talked about doing sort of 30 minutes five times a week is there a best time of day to do exercise or does that just depend on the individual it definitely depends on the individual, but we often find um, people we see, we see with AXBAR that in the mornings is quite good. Um, do some gentle, maybe look at your kind of stretching and flexibility work at that point to help with your stiff joints. Hmm. And then maybe later in the day, once you've warmed up a little bit more, think about the other activities that you could include once you're feeling a bit more you know, ready and warm, like something to think about anyway. Mm. And how do they select, how do people select which exercises to do to put into their routines? I mean, 30 minutes isn't very long. So do they focus on kind of cardio and strength one day and flexibility and balance the next? Does that work to do it like that? Yeah, definitely. And I think like we've touched on before, having it specific to them as well, um, we really advise to do daily stretches so even though we've got this recommended of 150 minutes a week um, as a kind of a baseline putting stretches in there is really key as part of the day but also adding in the other ones like we talked about with the strength training and the balance it's you can do it like a circuit kind of thing so you can do each little thing individually as a circuit so you can do an exercise of say strength so we can do like a little sit to stand exercise 
followed by like a balance exercise. So you could do like a standing on one leg, for an example. I mean, the physio would go through this with you more. Mm. Yeah, making it varied and fun, isn't it, as well? Yeah, it makes it more interesting. I think that's, that's going to be a part of it as well. And I was going to ask you as well, sort of, I know that over the lockdown, a lot of people have resorted to using kind of online prompts such as videos and things on YouTube and they, they don't have their normal classes and groups. I mean, how useful are all these kinds of things and, and perhaps even, you know, wearable devices that prompt them to do things? I think now is like a real excellent time to do kind of virtual exercise classes. So I think it's a really great thing. Um, and the only thing I'd mention is to make sure that the, the place where you're watching these videos is like credi a credible site. Mm. So, you know, for an example, NAS um, has a fantastic website and resources on there. So they've got so many videos um, that's really evidence-based and what we go by actually. So that's a really good one. Um, NAS are the National Axial Spa um, society, is that? yeah, yes, that's right, yeah. Um, and the another thing uh, here, the Axbar team, we're developing some videos as well. So um, hopefully, in the near future, we can have a a website of, at the RUH that people can go and have a look at our content. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, have you, have you done some of those, Vicky? I have, yes. So I've been one of the models, actually. So you can see me uh, very soon. In oh, that'd be great. You need to keep us in, in touch with that. I, I guess this brings us on quite nicely to talking about the um, what, what was a residential course, but is now becoming a kind of a, a virtual course. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so we've, we've worked really hard, actually, these last four to five months developing this exciting virtual course and essentially really wanted to make it as much as alike to the face-to-face -face course as we could. So the whole team came together with, you know, uh, Raj Gupta and the physios and Bird actually helped us with our focus group. Mm -hmm. It really patient-led as well to so make sure that we're doing everything that the patient would like out of the course. To have, yeah, to have it included. So, so the residential course was where patients would come along and spend two weeks and then have a, a schedule of activities and talks and all kinds of things, all kinds of support over a two-week period, wouldn't they? And they would get to meet and share experiences and an all-round really good, motivating start to their exercise journey as well, wasn't it? Definitely, like a really good kind of boost of uh, self-management really of how to best manage themselves with giving them all the toolboxes of ideas mm. so in our new course um, that was starting a study um, a pilot group and kind of shortened the days because we appreciate being virtual on, on the screen not promoting people to be at a computer for too long yeah so we've got five days initially um, that's broken up with live education sessions um, with us internal speakers. There's some external speakers as well with practical exercise sessions. We're doing live exercise um, classes with them. Right. 
and they also get um, their kind of one-to-one -one doctor review and consultant review within that time as well just to make sure you know all the medications and their disease activities all under control and how we can best support and manage them as well. So there's kind of pros and cons to both sides of this isn't there I mean with a virtual course I guess it's going to enable people to come or to attend the course that may not have been able to come for a two-week period before so it's going to be really interesting to see how this works as, a, as an option. Do you see this will be an option for the future it's not just a lockdown Covid related thing? No we, we hope it can be maybe something we could include alongside the face-to-face -face courses in due time mm. so it's the option of the both really. Um, I mean, I think a really important thing to say about the virtual one over the face-to-face -face one is after the five days, they get a week of consolidation. So they kind of go off, do their kind of own routine and, you know, work and life, hoping to fit in all the things that they've learned from us from those five days. Right. See them again for two days after that. So we kind of check in on them, see how it's going giving them some more education sessions. They have their second review with their doctor medical team as well. Mm. I think I'm really intrigued of how that goes. And, you know, so they get to trial it out. And then we're there again later, a couple of weeks down the line to see how it worked and how, how else we can support them. Yeah, because I guess the thing that's been done with the residential course is you can do all of the patient measurements and tests before then you can do the course and you can do the tests again at the end and you can prove that there's been some real improvements some really good progress made throughout the course so that's exactly what you want to achieve with the AS virtual course as well as that they'll be able to you know measure where they start to where they end up and then hopefully continue. Definitely. We're not able to do the kind of BASME measure, which is what we normally would do here to see how their, their range of movements increased from doing the course. But we're using other outcome measures virtually as well. So that's going to be brand new to us to see how that works. Functional outcome measures, you know, see how, it, how that works in comparison. Mm. What's the functional outcome measures that you'll use? They're all kind of recognised and, and well known. Mm -hmm. um, so one of them, we're going to look at strength, uh, which we do this by over a minute, how many times the person can stand and sit. Yeah. So that's a good target to say, you know, in a minute's time you can do, I don't know, 10 or 15. Yeah. And at the end of the course, you know, are they able to do a bit more because we've done a lot of strength with them, you know, they're moving a bit more. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, the other one we're doing is like a, a timed up and go. So they're sitting on a chair, then about six metres ahead of them is another chair. And they're going to stand up and see how fast it takes them to get to the other side and back in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is more focused on their neck. So neck movement and range to see how see how that's changed because a lot of people do say their neck can be one of the ones that's can be a bit more stiffer than the other joints so that's the three we're using and we've tried to kind of replicate as best we can with the BASME functional measures. Can we just explain BASME for anyone who might not know what that is? So BASME it's the Bath um, AS Metrology Index. So basically, it determines the minimum number of clinically appropriate measures 
that assess different angles of the body. So for example, your neck range of movement. So we measure from your head, how many degrees of movement do you have left to right? And then for an example, how far can your chin go back to the wall? Mm -hmm. And then you've got other ones. So we measure your hip distance, you know, how wide can your hips go without any pain or discomfort? We've got another one where, you know, how far can you bend forward to have a look at your back range of movements? So there's five, yeah, five clinical measurements. And patients would be quite familiar with this, wouldn't they? Yeah, patients would be really familiar. They do this all the time um, in their kind of consultants review. So we mentioned wearable devices, Vicky, and I wondered if there are really useful ones out there that you know of or that patients have been telling you that they use. Yeah, so we we are quite um, keen on wearable devices here on the course. We used to provide them whilst on the course with um, Fitbit watches. Mm -hmm. Um, Other brands are out there. um, And it's a really good way of promoting movement. So what they what they generally, how many steps they do in a day. It's a nice prompt as to kind of getting you standing up as well. A lot of the time, every hour it says stand up. So it's quite a good one if you're, you know, working or or at a desk. It's quite nice to kind of of do that. Mm, We all sit down too long, don't we, when we get uh, stuck into work on the computer? I know, we're all prone to that. But I think that's why it's quite good. It gives you a little bit of a nudge to say, come on now, have a walk Mm. around. Um, interestingly, actually, the ones we provided and uh, the Fitbit ones, it also measures your sleep. Now, sleep is really important. Yeah. Um, we've got all the different stages of sleep. And what's really good, I mean, it's not accurate 100%, but it shows you how many hours or minutes you're in a certain stage of sleep, mm. um, which is really important to understand your symptoms as well. So if you're really tired, but you think you've had a long sleep, you'll, you look at the watch data and it says actually you are mainly in your lighter stage of sleep so in in that respect you can understand why they're quite fatigued yeah deeper part of your sleep that's when you kind of get all the kind of restoring of the brain and the body and that's when you wake up quite refreshed so yeah I think it's really good to look into different wearables I mean there's all sorts out there it's a good idea really interesting and yeah like you said there's plenty out there these days so so with the virtual AS course, obviously part of what's driven that or fast-tracked it is patients not being able to come on residential courses or even see their consultants face-to-face during the COVID lockdown phase. What's going on at the hospital now? How are things working? So at the moment, we're still going for virtual first. And really, we're kind of assessing each week as to the social distancing and things like that. Because essentially, as soon as we're able to do groups together, we can then open back up the face-to-face. It's just due to limited space at the moment that we can only have a certain amount of people in each room. So, And that's the same for our hydro pool. Yeah, a lot of people miss hydro and the warmth of the water and being able to stretch in it. It's um, it's a real loss at the moment, isn't it? I have to just stand under the shower or something instead and do do some stretches, gentle stretches. Yeah, definitely. We all miss, miss hydro here. It's such a key part of life, really. Um, but like you said, yeah, nice hot shower, warm bath. You know, if you're lucky enough to have a hot tub. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some people have, haven't they? Yeah, the weather. 
So we've, we've mentioned NAS as a, a useful resource. Is there anything else we should be maybe thinking about to mention just so that people have got other things to go away and look at? Are there any particular good YouTube videos or other websites that where people could go? Another good place to go is if you can put into your kind of browser uh, living well with pain that's a really good resource booklet there about kind of management techniques and strategies um, yeah. so how will we know about your course winning just how will patients find out about it so hopefully they'll be on a waiting list anyway when they've been referred or they or the consultants or physio can let them know and we're hoping to advertise it via our the RUH website as well so we'll have some more information on there they can read all about it and then hopefully get referred on to it. Brilliant. So it's also worth mentioning that on the NAS website we have local area groups where you can join and it's really important to talk to others as well who are in the same situation as you. So it's like that kind of peer review, like peer group as well, which is quite nice. Yes. And talking to others is so important, isn't it? Whether it be online or, you know, your friends, your family. And also you can buddy up with somebody, you know, live nearby together and say, oh, should we go for a walk or do some stretches together? albeit virtually or you know socially distanced at the moment but I think that's quite important isn't it to have someone you can to do it with absolutely I'm a I'm a huge advocate for peer support it's, it's hard to get going sometimes but what people can learn from each other it can really help with like a sense of optimism about your condition you know you learn so many tips from other people about day-to-day -day coping that isn't necessarily tied around clinically strategic things so absolutely helps to talk to other people in my opinion. So Vicky, thanks ever so much for talking today. I think we've covered quite a lot of elements of um, why exercise is really important for people with AXPAR and the different types of exercise and where they can go to to get information. I really appreciate that you've um, taken some time out today to come and talk to us. It's fine, it's been a real pleasure and hopefully I can uh, see some of these listeners and um, we're albeit virtually on face-to-face -face soon that would be good wouldn't it thanks ever so much we'll, we'll be in touch and i'll speak to you again thank you bye bye i hope you enjoyed today's podcast and just a reminder that you can sign up to hear about more podcasts and all the patient engagement research opportunities that are upcoming by joining our mailing list all you have to do is send an email to admin at birdbath.org.uk. The link is also in the text description of this podcast. We would also like to thank Healthwatch Bath and North East Somerset for helping to fund this podcast. time for a quick cuppa and a stretch. While you've got the kettle on, I'd like to just mention our new text and donate service that will help us to fund these podcasts. All you'd need to do is text BIRD to 70460 to donate £5. This costs £5 plus a standard rate message. Thanks for your support.